Hello and welcome. Welcome to Inspiring Hope, where we encourage you to have only positive expectations through self-care. I am your host, Tracy Williams, and today you're going to be tuning in to a section of our Self-Care Saturday show called How White Privilege and Black Lives Matter Movement Mixes and How You Can Help. All right, we're going to get started today. Let's get it. Let's go, y'all. You like your first experience with racism and how you noticed it. And how did that make you feel? Who are you with? Wow, that is a wonderful question. You know, I um, I was privileged. We'll start it out really, really topical. I was privileged growing up um, to live in kind of this um, very liberal, spiritual, rose-tinted glasses bubble. And so I really don't know that I had a profound experience with really internalizing racism until I was a lot later in life than a lot of people. And so um, when I went to high school, I went to one of the most diverse high schools in my district, um, and I transferred out of of a wealthier, um, more distinguished uh, school district, if you will. And when I transferred in order to pursue a, a program that was offered at this other school, uh, I was met with a lot of concern and criticism, both from friends and then other parents in my community surrounding that it was, um, in my community, was the ghetto school or that the school was in some way dangerous or harmful or that there were all these negative things that came out of the school or that the students didn't learn very well. I had a really hard time understanding that until I was in and I understood that the demographics looked vastly different than where I had been transferring away from. Um, And so over my four years at that school, as I came to understand the reality and the actuality of the community that I was in there, I realized um, how profound my understanding of this community that I lived in was stigmatized based on the color of the skin of the students who went there. And that was my first time of having a really visceral experience with racism. Wow. How did that make you feel? Um, I think it just, it felt like, um, it was kind of a double-edged sword of like, I wanted to, um, I wanted to be this advocate and this, this voice of, of reason among all of the misconceptions around the school that I was going to. I want to say, you know, your perception of the school based on the demographic of kids who go there has nothing to do with, um, nothing to do with the quality of education, the quality of community. It's purely based on the stigmas of where I live. But then it was also like, I looked at me and they looked at me as like the white girl who went there. And therefore like I was representing something that was not, um, didn't reflect the rest of the student body. And so it was like, no matter what I said, always this barrier between like, oh, well, you know, you're different or you have this different perspective, this different experience, even though it was so collective. And so it was really, I felt very trapped in that. Yeah, wow, that's pretty different and uncomfortable. What about you, Ms. Annette? What was like one of your first experiences and how did that make you feel? Well, I, I will tell you the truth, until all this craziness started happening, I don't know that I understood what white privilege meant. So that's the first thing. I thought white privilege is growing up, you know, with money and all that stuff. So my understanding of that, it took 53 years for me to understand that. Now, being from Costa Rica, being Latina, I came here to go to KU 33 years ago. I've seen discrimination 
because of the color of your skin to my friend that was also from Costa Rica that looks Latina, but not against me because I didn't look Latina. I look very white. So it was in college that I started to realize why are we being looked at different? We're the same. We're two women. We're from Costa Rica, whatever you want to say it. But she was being looked at different. And that was very uncomfortable because I didn't feel it for me, but I felt it for her. And it was weird. It's like, what is wrong with people? I mean, I'm very vocal. So uh, that was probably kind of the first thing. I grew up in another country. So maybe things were a little different when I was younger. I never, I never saw color. But bringing it back to today is understanding that even though I don't feel those pressures and I don't feel that discrimination, that I have a voice. And that it that we need to say this is not okay. I may have not experienced it, but it's not okay. You know right. that's and I get goosies when I say that because I cannot put myself, Tracy, in your shoes or Jessica in your shoes or anybody's shoes because I have not lived that life. But I could do something about it. I can educate people. And I think when I put that banner on my Facebook group about that, the little education of what white privilege is, I'm sure I like pushed off some people. And I don't guess, I don't care. I was first, but I didn't. I don't care because education, this is what I do for a living. Education is key, no matter what aspect of, of our lives. Uh, but I did have a very uncomfortable situation years ago in Milton, Georgia driving with my other Latina friend to Florida and we stopped at a diner and that was the first time that I've ever been scared and it's because we were talking Spanish and it took a moment of silence and we left and the whole restaurant was looking at us because we were different and we literally paid our tab and left so that was the only time I have felt scared because of the language I was speaking or who I was with and it was one very uncomfortable and you know encounter in 53 years I cannot imagine a daily encounter because of the color yeah thank you that's powerful mm -hmm. to to be able to notice that uh, that that you never felt that until you were like 53 then boom yeah, all of a sudden, and you feel so uncomfortable that you want to leave. And I love how you uh, compare that to how people can feel that every single day, no matter where they are. And just imagine feeling that and having everybody around you say, oh, it's in your head. Oh, it's, it's just a mindset, but it's such a reality. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate that. And I know that you're going to have to go pretty soon. But Actually, no, that got rescheduled, so you have me, whether you want me or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise the Lord. And, you know, one thing I really enjoy is that from what you guys are saying just so far, uh, racism is not something that we're just born to naturally do. It's something that's taught. Mm -hmm. And if we can be taught to hate or talk to people like they're less than we can definitely be taught to love. We can be taught to value people. 
and we can be taught to value what they feel and their experiences. Even though our experiences don't have to always be the same, you know, but we can be taught to just sit and really listen. You know, like a lot of times our kids, they don't, or even our husbands, you guys, we don't want them to work out our problems for us. We just want to tell them so they can listen because the answer is on the inside of us. Each and every one of us were born with this seed. We were born with a seed of love inside of us. But it's up to us that no matter what happens, we allow that seed to be nurtured and to be cared for and to watch over. We all have a responsibility to do that. And part of that is being able to tell our stories, even though it might be uncomfortable, being able to tell our stories no matter who you are, without apology, without being apologetic about it. So I appreciate you ladies coming on here today. I really thank you so much for that. And so I'm just gonna move real quickly to Miss Jessica McClellan. I like her last name, so I like to get to McClellan. Um, so Jessica, you know, we know that you are an advocate uh, for the voices. You know, and you've been through some things, uh, domestic violence and different things like that. So just tell us a little bit about how do you feel about all the issues that are being raised today? You know, especially after the whole Joyce Floyd and those things. Well, that's my belly is 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 bubbling <laughs> because it's it's been my entire life. Uh, George Floyd is nothing new. Uh, unfortunately, it's nothing new. What is new about it in 2020 is that there was a video that has awakened the consciousness of uh, the privileged. Um, any black person, you and I, I haven't even asked you this question, but you would concur that this is nothing new. Am I correct? True. So any black person would concur uh, universally that this is nothing new. The, the George Floyd video what was heartbreaking and it has awakened the consciousness of um, a people, um, specifically uh, the privileged. And I'm, I'm so excited to have Mariah on the call or on the Zoom or the platform today because um, something was told to me a week ago and it is so paramount and I hope I get it right, but if I don't, you can get the gist of it. Um, my grandparents had no choice but to accept it. My parents questioned it. We questioned it, but this new generation is demanding change. So thank you so much, uh, sweetheart, dear heart, for using your privilege and using your voice and joining with us as a human race to dismantle the systemic hatred and racism that was has been inbred in the DNA of a people. And when I say inbred, my sister Annette, love you, but that's a prime example of inbred when you don't realize it for one time in 53 years. This systemic racism in America is inbred 
in people and they don't even know it, even black people. Because it's like sometimes we expect to be treated a certain way like you were Annette. We know that we don't go to this part of town. When I was your age or when I was in high school, there was no way I was going to leave Summit. There, am I correct, Craig? You do good to get in Grandview. And if you move to Grandview as a high school student when I was in high school, you were really something. You know, the parents were doing really well. So this is what I'm saying. I'm excited about the changes that are coming forth. I'm excited about collaboration. I'm excited about the allies. I'm excited about Annette and Mariah and all of my, my, my brown and my white sisters that are coming with the black sisters and brothers. And we're, we're saying we're not going to have this and we're not going to accept this anymore. Period. Point blank. And so I'm excited about the things that are happening. Unfortunately, uh, I believe that Jesus sent his son uh, as a sacrificial lamb for us. And I believe that many, many, many black men and women that have been, and brown women and brown men that have been lynched and castrated and, and, and brutally murdered uh, have been. And so how dare I not use my voice to make their murders not in vain? I love that. I love that thought. That last thought that she—that's really powerful. Um, that's powerful. I was just looking at a quote that I had been uh, kind of meditating on this morning and last night. Um, and the and actually, I put a picture up of it. Uh, a young lady about you know silence. And the the quote is: "Here's a thought that white silence is violence. It actively protects the system." And when I say system, I mean every type of system that we have, whether it's a political system, our school system, you know, the, when it comes to pricing of things, it's just like imagine playing the game Monopoly for 400 years. Monopoly, where some neighborhoods, this costs this, some neighborhoods, this costs that. And just because you live in that neighborhood, it doesn't matter what you're like on the inside, the outside, how nice your house is, none of that. doesn't matter how much money you make. Your insurance is going to cost more or you might not even be able to be insured, those type of things. So I was just looking at that, like white silence is violent. It protects the systems. It also says I'm OK with the way things are and mainly because it doesn't affect me because I have this white privilege. And you know what? White supremacy is a system that you've been born into. Right. Whether you know it or not. And sometimes some things no matter what it is, no matter what you're talking about, they are so ingrained in us that it becomes unconscious. So we just go along with it and we don't even notice what's going on in the background. And I'll make this really plain. It's like walking into uh, the store two months before Christmas. You're going in the store to get one thing, but you come out with something totally different. And maybe that one thing because of the music that you hear in the intercom. They might be playing Christmas music, so you get in the Christmas mood. Hey, I'm gonna buy some stuff for the tree. I'm gonna buy this. Oh, this is on sale. You get caught up in it. But we have to learn to be able to have the conversations that are uncomfortable, to hear the stories that don't sound good, to be able to listen to somebody's story, imagine that, and imagine them. How, how would you feel in their shoes? 
for a day, just like Annette said, for one day. Imagine yourself in those shoes for one day and how comfortable, uncomfortable that could be. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to throw, throw that in there, you know, because the system, it protects you. When you have white privileges, you, you get protection, right? You get power that comes with that, and you don't even know it. And it, it really, um, I can just say, you know, it kind of flips me out when you have friends and they just, uh, they think that it's all in your head. Oh, that just happens every now and then. No, not true. Not true. And so, again, um, I just want to get to the point of, hey, we can agree to disagree. That's fine with me. But, you know, I put a, a, a note in the comments before we even started. You know, Jessica has a book and I want her to tell us a little bit about this book. Some things that people can do that are in white skin, because when I say white people, I don't mean just Caucasian. I mean, you know, other white skin, especially Jewish people. Yes, I said it. Yeah, I know they went through some things, right? Got the reparations and all that. But yes, I said it because a lot of Jewish people, we know they're known for having money, right? So money means that you control some things. You control media, things like that. Things that are important, things that influence us every day that we don't even think about. You control some political decisions out here for people that you don't even know. So Jessica, give us a little bit <clears throat> about the name of the book and you know, uh, just a few things that people can do, practical things so we can know when you get off this 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 uh, live right here, whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you're watching on Facebook, when you get off of here, you will know these are some things that I can do. Which one do I feel comfortable enough to go ahead and start doing today? And you know what? Before I even got on this call, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I told God, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Yes, yes. Selfless. When I look at Mariah, what I see is I see a generation being raised up of people, young people that are selfless, a selfless generation. You know, we many times we have bad things to say about the younger generation. But what I can say is when I see somebody on the front line out there protesting, protesting, don't have to because she got the white privilege. She, In other words, she got the T-shirt, the fake, the skin, everything. She don't have to. But. Her heart was convicted to the point she said, I want to make a change. I want to be a change maker. I want to shift some things in the atmosphere. So we come today to dismantle some things and to shift some things in the atmosphere. So if you get off the call, you're not sure how you feel about Tracy anymore. I understand. It's okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you again, Tracy, for, for doing this. This is so powerful and I think it's so meaningful. Um, I bought this book, Can We All Get Along? And it is by Clyde W. Ford. I bought this book. I was moved to buy this book when I was a senior in college at Southern University, HBCU, which means Historically Black University and College, uh, built by us and for us because we could not go to white universities. Um, and I, I was there and I graduated in 1992. But while I was there, um, the, the beating of Rodney King happened in L.A. And if you don't know about it, Mariah, you need to Google it because it is it is um, it is is paramount. And it's talked. It moved me to buy this book. We protested in, in, in college. I wore the shirts. No justice, no peace. So when I tell you this is nothing new, Mariah, I've been where you are at your age doing the same thing. Um, and unfortunately, we're still here. My parents, my grandparents, I've gone from slavery to uh, my parents 
you know, founding a school bus company to transport bright black and brown kids to school because they couldn't ride the bus. And now uh, the organization that I founded is giving scholarships. So we have come a long way, but again, we haven't. And so this book is, it is, it is like, uh, if you want to be an anti-racist, it's, it's like a good Bible for that. Um, it has everything in it. 50 steps you can take to help end racism at home, at work, and in your community. A lot of people that I have, that I have uh, encountered, this is what I'm finding with some of my personal uh, friends that are Caucasian. Um, what can I do? There's nothing, you know, that I don't experience that. It's not in my community. You don't experience it. Thank you, Annette. Just because you don't experience it doesn't mean you can't use your voice. My plea is to use your white privilege. How? Start in your home. Start with conversations at your dinner table. If you do not start having these conversations in your home and with your children, you will create police officers that can keep their knee on the neck of an African-American for eight minutes and 43 seconds. Mic drop. Yes. Yes. You have to talk. You have to communicate. And Tracy said her number one thing for this uh, number one mission or initiative or goal for this for this Zoom or this conversation, uh, this self self um, what is it called, Tracy? Self care um, Saturday. Self care Saturday is education, and we need an education. This book is available at Amazon. I bought it in 1992, you guys, and it's still available. It is still amazing. It has a wealth of information on things that you can do. And one of the things, um, I'm just going to read you just real quick, Tracy, and then I'll let you go. But some of the things that you want to start with, understanding racism, the problem of racism, get to know the changing face of racism, avoid using the word race. These are just chapters. You Use non-racist language. Inventory your life experience with racism. Examine your personal views about racism. Reclaim your personal history. Learn about your history, who you are. Learn about America, please. I'm going to stop there. Learn about America. America has never been great for a people. Mm. Only for some. America was built on the backs of slaves for free. So this book... And Tracy mentioned reparations and she mentioned uh, Jews are known for having money because they receive reparations. Well, you take a people, specifically African-American people, and enslave them for over 400 years. How long do you think it's going to take generations and generations to catch up? We have to use our voice to make a difference. I wanted to touch on something, um, if you don't mind, Jessica, just in regards to allyship, as you were kind of touching on with the book and how it gave you avenues to have effective allyship. And I really wanted to introduce this concept that we have talked about a lot in Sunrise Movement, um, as we are a climate organization that is fundamentally rooted in um, equitable transition, as well as BIPOC liberation. And for those of you who may not be familiar with the term BIPOC, it's Black Indigenous People of Color. Um, a lot of the time we refrain from saying POC because we, we understand as an organization that the Black and Indigenous communities are the most disproportionately affected by systemic racism and oppression, uh, and therefore also the most entitled to reparation. Um, so we like to use BIPOC as a common part of our vernacular in our movement. Um, 
But a big thing that we talk about in our anti-oppression work that we do within the movement um, is this idea about allyship versus accomplices. Um, and we really adopted this, uh, this language around how we approach anti-racism work and allies are really common one that we use. And for the most part, positively associated with people who are willing to stand up for the movement. Um, but it also represents this sort of passivity around activism. You know, an ally an ally is a, is a fan in a stadium. You know, it's somebody cheering people on. They're sitting there in their comfortability and in their privilege and being able to say, you know, you guys go do all the dirty work. We're going to stand up here, but we support you, you know? And that leads into so many unhealthy forms of allyship, like optical allyship, which looks like, you know, you share a Facebook post or post a black square on your Instagram and call it allyship. And you've done nothing to further the movement or amplify the voices of your BIPOC community. Um, and so we really like to lean into this idea of accomplices. Um, and I always hear like my beautiful colleague's voice queen in my head when I say this, because she explains it so beautifully, but, um, but it's like, we don't need people in the stands. You know, we don't need people on Facebook. We don't need people, um, we don't need people texting us and asking if we're okay. We need people on the front lines with us. We need you in it. We need you to be an accomplice to this movement. We need you in the streets. We need you in your homes having those really difficult conversations that you mentioned. We need putting yourself on the front lines of this issue. Uh, and I really like that. And I think it's really helped to transform how I approach my own anti-oppression work and myself and in my communities is like, what can I do to actually make sure that I am integrating myself into the experience uh, and being an active participant in this movement. Wow. I just want you to date my son. the way. We love you. <laughs> wow. Um, Tracy, I want to add not to her because she's so eloquent. I cannot speak. Oh, my God. 22. Seriously, I have a 22 year old, very cute son that. Oh, my God. You are amazing. Oh, you're too kind. I was listening to Oprah, where she had this different discussions and forums that she does all the time. And I think one thing that stuck with me, why people don't understand, well, first you have to want to get educated, right, and do something. But it's the word privilege that people have an issue with. People define privilege so, so, so differently than what the definition of privilege is. And she said, if we could use, if you could use a, synony a synonym, whatever, sorry, my Spanish coming in. Uh, not cinnamon, but cinnamon, um, to privilege is advantage. So think of white advantage. And maybe in your head, if you never thought about white privilege and understanding what that, that, that is not being white and being rich, that's not, you know, that, that could be one sort of privilege, but that's not what this is about. It's the advantage that we have because of the color of our skin. So privilege Think of it as an advantage. And it is. That's what it is. And not having that creates a disadvantage on the other side. So anyways. Yeah, I, I thank you for that, that, Annette. I think that's awesome that you broke that down that way because yes. I, I, I I have found uh, in in my friendships, too, with white women, I'm not privileged, just, you know, and so you're sharing it that way. And I've shared it that way as well if, if we both walk into a store um, mm -hmm. and you're treated with respect and I'm not, that's white privilege. It has nothing to do with how much money you make. Yeah, yeah it has it on that because somebody said, I, I grew up, I had a conversation with somebody said, I grew up with nothing, very poor. And I said, I, I understand. Well, I didn't. So I don't necessarily understand that, but I hear what you're saying, but this is not what the term white privilege means is the advantage 
simply because of the color of your skin, not necessarily of your pocketbook, even though, like Tracy said, when you do have the pocketbook and you do have the advantage, then there's a responsibility that comes with that because people listen when you have resources, right? It's just the way that the world would work. But well, I think the word, I heard it get tossed around a little earlier in conversation, this idea of systemic, mm-hmm. it's that, that word and that comprehension, which I think is such, it's so macro that sometimes people can't feel or identify the full scope of that. They're like, oh, well, this, you know, George Floyd was an isolated incident or, you know, all of these occasions that we're hearing, they're isolated incidents because they're not able to take a step out of their own experience and out of their own privilege and see the macrocosm that is systemic oppression and racism in this country. Um, and so hearing that word get thrown around earlier, and it's so much to go into, you know, it's such a short amount of time, but when you're able to start breaking down these issues as systemic issues, you start to understand why these these um, conflicts between like, well, I'm white and I didn't have a wealthy upbringing. That doesn't give me privilege or I'm white and I had to work really hard. Or, you know, I grew up under the Reagan administration and he said, if I work hard, then that's how I get successful in this country. You know, all of these like really backwards, really um, damaging ideologies that have been inbred, as you said, within the American culture um, kind of start to unravel and become irrelevant as you look at it on a systemic scale. And that's something that like, just anything to take away from a conversation about, about race or oppression, oppression in this country is like, do the work to understand that this issue transcends whatever event you thought was not a big deal, or that you thought people were overreacting about. You know, this is this is quantum in how this country was founded. It, it permeates every system that we, we operate within. And so that kind of immediately dismantles a lot of that argument of, well, I'm white, but... I'm white, but it's like, you're white, but you're white, you know, and that, that trajectory of how you're able to navigate and access opportunity in this, in this system. Well, that's, that's what you're saying is, is I just want to say one point. I love it. And, and what I, what I, I may have said it earlier was um, the voice um, when I say ally, I don't mean a you know a Facebook post or something like that. I mean like what we're doing here and what you're doing, doing the work. Um, allies that work. Um, but as far as the uh, the voice and the power of the privilege, I have put this on social media and I've been saying it that the privileged who hate will continue to hate until the privileged who love join with us and speak up against the injustices of other human beings that are non-white. And so that kind of kind of goes in with what you're saying. It's the privileged and we have to let them know that they're privileged. When you speak, when your voice speaks, when a net voice speaks, it can very well in many situations out trump Tracy's and mine. Mm-hmm. And we could be saying the exact same thing. But there is a privilege with your color. And when your color speaks, it's golden. That's why you have what you call Karens calling the police on black men because of the power of the white woman's voice. And that's why I am so intentional in pulling us white women together and us black women together and us brown women together because the power of our voices collectively can change this world, period. Absolutely. And I know in my my personal anti-racism journey, I'm trying to find this balance between 
using my voice and understanding that element of privilege um, and using that to the advantage and to amplify that of, of my black you know, sisters and brothers, as well as um, also understanding that white voices have controlled the narrative of this country since its foundation. And so how do you release control? And I think this is where a lot of people get um, get really tripped up in this work as well. It's like, you have to release control of the narrative. You have to hand over the narrative to a voice that is telling their story and their experience and amplify that while also understanding the words that you had just mentioned about how, how optically and culturally it's received differently coming from two different bodies. Um, and that for me is, I think, part of the work I'm doing right now is like, how do I amplify it, but also use my voice and where do those, you know, and, um, and it's challenging. It's challenging work. And to sit with that duality and to sit with that awareness and understand um, when it's appropriate to use your voice and when you need to be using your platform, your privilege to amplify the voices of others. I would agree. Now, I'm sorry, we are out of time totally. I, I knew that this was going to be a fast, juicy conversation, and I really appreciate you guys coming back on. I would love to be able to invite you again if that is something that you're interested in doing, because like Jessica said, and Jessica doesn't know this, but she inspired me to do something like this, to use my voice, to use a platform. And I want to just encourage all of you that we all have a platform. If you are shy and you don't like to talk, that's okay. There is still a way that you can use your voice without talking. You can start a blog and you can talk when you write. And people, one thing about writing, when you put it out there on social media, it's out there. It will stay. It will last. When you go to a protest, you don't have to be the loudest one in the crowd. You can just hold up your sign and you can be right there. You don't even have to have a sign. You can be there to stand in front of somebody, the black girl or the black guy that was getting ready to get massacred by policemen just for being there and because of the color of their skin. You can do that. Now, I, I oh man, I got a really good question that I want to ask, but I got to keep to my word to be on time, seriously, because I was going to go to Rosewood next. And so I know Rosewood, uh, I know that we can do a little talking and some educating there, but I want to encourage you. I won't be back next week, I don't think, but I will be back the following week. And um, I'm going to have a lady on here, Carolyn Hammond. Some of you guys know her. She's awesome. And hopefully a few more. Mariah, I would love for you to be able to come back. This this young lady has set my heart on fire. Really, mm -hmm. I'm seriously, and I appreciate you, Annette. The things that you have said have really sparked some interest in us. And I think that we have done what um, my vision that came to set out to do was to Take some things up, whether it's uh, emotionally or whether it's in, in our mind, and to educate us on what can we do, no matter what we are, where we are, who we are, we can all do something. Because I will tell you this, it may seem like white privilege is a thing, but the, here's the thing, everybody in society is affected. When one person is affected, we're all affected because we are all connected, whether you like it or not. I hear that in the uh, that that listen up because of what I'm saying. But we are all connected, whether you like it or not. So when one person hurts, it hurts the next person. I know for me and my family and many other families, we're all black, right? But I am sure if I do end up having a grandchild, my grandchild will be mixed. And I know a lot of us are in that situation. 
So just think of it like that. Just when you see somebody on the highway, you don't have to talk and you see that they may be uh, pulled over and be mistreated. You don't have to talk to get out your phone and start videotaping and streaming live. So whether you're shy or not, you have a voice. Use your voice. Speak up. Don't let white privilege take you down the road or the wrong road where you just use it for pride, you know, but use it humbly and use it wisely. And so I just want to leave you guys with that today. And some of you already know, I still have this thing going on, a challenge that I want you guys to keep praying that prayer of Jabez, 1 Corinthians 4, 9 and 10, that God will bless us indeed. Make it as specific as you possibly can, that he would enlarge your territory, that his hand would be up on you. And that he would give you peace and you would cause pain to no one, not even to yourselves. So if this conversation has disrupted your thinking, has broke something in your heart today, my job is done. Peace out. Love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.